Pittsburgh. Brandon Dubinsky, who used to play for the New York Rangers in Columbus and never came close to winning anything, but cross-checked Sid in the head all the time. He played 13 seasons and only got to 20 goals twice. He only won three playoff series ever. Dubinsky was on some pissant podcast, and he was asked to compare Sid and Ovi, and here's what Brandon Dubinsky said. You know, everyone who wants to talk about Sid and Ovi, whatever, dude, f- Ovi, or f- Sid. Like, I'll take Ovi every day of the week. Like, I got an Ovi yes. stick. I mean, I got an Son Ovi stick. Listen, I asked, I asked Ovi for for an autograph stick. I got, you know, I got it from him. Thanked him for it. I would never ask Sid for a stick ever. Well, that's some detailed hockey analysis by Brandon Dubinsky. Telling us why Ovi's better than Sid. Apparently, Ovi is more generous with memorabilia. But then again, Dubinsky wouldn't know that because he didn't ask Sid for a stick. Now, if you ever saw Dubinsky play against Sid, you'd expect that's exactly what he'd say about Sid. Cheap shot, vulgar, low rent, no class. That's exactly how Dubinsky played, and that's exactly how he talks. No surprise there, but what a dink. Sid won as many cups as Dubinsky did playoff series. Sid has almost 900 more points than Dubinsky, and Sid's still playing, and Dubinsky isn't. It's just one guy who got beat all the time, bitching jealously about the guy who beat him. So, Brandon Dubinsky, guess what? You just made the list! Here's some irony. As we hear the song play in the background, and Brandon Dominski makes the list. I just got a DM from Chris Jericho, the contents of which I will not reveal. The list brought to you by Matt Mertz Plumbing, Kant on a name you could trust. Dial 412-367-0815, and Matt Mertz will take care of all your plumbing needs. Dubinsky doubled down on Twitter after the interview on that podcast when he said, and I quote, Listen, Crosby is better than me. I never said he wasn't. He's obviously one of the best ever. It was Ovi versus Sid. None of you play in the NHL and know how hard it is to score goals in the NHL. 724 is insane. Sid just whined way too much, and Ovi just shut up and played hard. Well, if anybody would know how hard it is to score in the NHL, it would be Brandon Dubinsky. Dubinsky, when he played, he babbled all the time. He whined more than Sid. Sid had 476 goals, so it's not like he doesn't know how to score. And then King Blogger chimed in by tweeting, Doobie versus Crosby was one of the greatest player versus player rivalries of the last 15 years, unquote. That's such nonsense. The windshield doesn't have a rivalry with the bug. But then again, King Blogger, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com, he's the Brandon Dubinsky hockey writers. Got paired very little, wasn't very good, 
Nobody takes him seriously. Not to be critical. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Uh, Penguins Bruins tomorrow, man. I'm fired up. Penguins really on a roll. Really on a roll. I'm not saying the window's open. Because honestly, and you won't like this, I'm not sure it is yet. I'm not sure it can be. I'm just not sure they're that kind of team anymore that can win four playoff series in a row. But now they're at least making you wonder. That's all you want is hope. I knew last year when the playoffs started, the Penguins didn't have a friggin' chance. And I kind of suspected that the year before when they got swept by the Islanders. The last time I really felt like big things were possible was 2018 when they lost in the second round to Washington. Now hope is alive. And that's really all you can ask for from whatever team you support. Let's go to George in Washington, PA. George, you're on with double N. Hey, Super G. Thanks for taking my call, big fan. Great. Uh, just one quick on the Dubinsky note. I was going to say, when you say his name, I honestly have to Google his name to figure out what team he's on because he's that much of a jabroni. I was about 70% sure about Columbus, but... I mean, whatever. He's kind of no. I remember who he opinion. played, and I remember how he played. And I don't mean the latter in complimentary fashion, but uh, hey, he could say whatever he wants, and I can say he's a dink and a pissant who couldn't carry Sid's jock and a goalie back. I have a well, reason for my call. I have a question about Mike Sullivan. Not sure how much you touched on him, but the Pens have been really hot recently, and they look very competitive. How much do you attribute to him? as a, a top three coach of the year right now? Well, he won't win coach of the year because after you win a Stanley Cup, you can never win coach of the year again. That's an informal thing. I'm sure it's been compromised once or twice, but, you know, people are going to say, well, okay, he has this injury-riddled team, and they're tied for first, and he's accomplished a lot, but it ain't a Stanley Cup. He's won that, and he should do well because a lot of the same guys are there. For Sully to win coach the of the year, it would have to be with another team. Uh, but he's done a great job. He's a big part of all this. Uh, I think Sully probably finds it easier to coach some of the scrubs than he does Evgeny Malkin. He finds it easier to get these guys all on the same page when you know guys like Frederick Gaudreau are just hoping he can get another week in in the NHL to get paychecks and that room service on the road. So uh, he's doing a great job, but I think I think the circumstance dictates that it's I don't want to say a more comfortable situation for him. Any coach will tell you it's easier to get bad players to do what you want as opposed to good players. I think the test of Mike and how he's done this season will be how the team plays when Malkin comes back. Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, Now, that being said, what happened with Kessel? Is that foreshadowing with Malkin? If uh, no, Mike, Mike, Mike did a good job with Kessel for a bunch of years, but Kessel always wears out his welcome. He always gets tired of where he's at. It's reflected in the way he approaches the game and the way he especially approaches practice and the way he bitches and moans or doesn't. Uh, it happened in Boston. It happened in Toronto. It happened in Pittsburgh. And when it happens in Arizona, his career will probably be over. That's just the way Phil Kessel is. That had nothing to do with Mike. Mike did an excellent job deploying Phil and the way he used him in 2016 to anchor a third line had as much to do with the Penguins winning the Stanley Cup as anything else Mike Sullivan decided. Okay, thanks for taking my call. Thank you. And I'm not knocking Gino. Gino's one of the 
four greatest players in franchise history for sure. But he just wants to play the way he wants to play. Latang is adjusting like a son of a gun. Latang is buttoned up. Latang is tempering his game. And I give Chris all the credit in the world for that. I just want to see if Gino does the same because he's got to do the same. Let's go to Chad and Castle Shannon. Chad, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark. How are you? What up? Hey, I'm looking at um, the East Division standings, and it looks like the Pens have the same number of games played as the Isles. One more win and an equal number of points, but yet the Isles are ahead of them in the standings. Do you know what that's about? Is that like regulation, wins and regulation or something? I'm sure it is wins and regulation. I think goal differential could be used as a tiebreaker. Without the standings in front of me, I don't know, but does it really matter right this second? Not right this second. I was just curious, though. Yeah, put it this way. Uh, the first tiebreaker is uh, wins in regulation. Okay. It it just seemed a little odd because they had the same number of games played. Heard you the first time. I believe the tiebreaker is wins in regulation. Let's go to Joe. Joe, you're on with Double M. And, Mark, I just wanted to piggyback what you were talking about with the Penguins and, and whether the window's still open. And and here's here's what I think the demarcation line is. If Bro, you just caught a little bit ago. See you later. That's James from Tampa, isn't it? Yeah, he called, he called twice using a different name. You're not a co-host, bro. Call once a day. Slow down a little bit. 412-333-WXDX. Uh... Dubinsky can say what he wants. I can say what I want about Dubinsky, too. Uh, a bunch of Columbus Blue Jackets fans. I wasn't even sure there were any of those. A couple tweeted, you never played a, a game in the league, fat ass. Let me tell you something. I am better at my job than Brandon Dubinsky was at his. No question about that. I've never been a bottom six radio host. 412-333-WXDX. This is the Mark Madden Show. Get your calls in now. Not much time left. I'm going to the fish fry tonight. Yeah, in a movie. What an exciting Friday night for a 60-year-old guy. 105.90X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. You live by the ass, you die by the ass. Well, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that subject. Wait a minute. Prostitution's illegal? The X at 105.9. Atlanta Braves released a statement about the All-Star game being pulled from Atlanta because of the Georgia voting law, which uh, restricts the access to the ballot box for voters of color. Uh, The Braves are pissed. That's not in the statement, but they say the Atlanta Braves are deeply disappointed by the decision of Major League Baseball to move its 2021 All-Star game. This was neither our decision nor our recommendation. And we are saddened that fans will not be able to see this event in our city. Uh, They then go on to talk about the Braves stressing the importance of equal voting opportunities. But say, unfortunately, businesses, employees, and fans in Georgia are the victims of this decision. Unquote. You know what? They're right. I mean, why shouldn't the Braves be mad? People are mad at the Braves because they're mad. But this voting law is something the Braves had nothing to do with. And they, and Atlanta's businesses, and employees, and fans in Georgia, as the news release says, are victims of the decision. Now, 
that pales in comparison to who's being victimized by a thinly veiled racist voting law. But are the Braves in control of that? What were they supposed to do regarding that? So, again, sports is being politicized out the yin-yang. I don't like the Georgia voting law. I understand this decision by MLB. I support the decision by MLB, but I wish they didn't have to make it. I wish that something that I deal with could lack politics, just for my own personal enjoyment. But I understand MLB's decision, and like I said, I agree with it. It still sucks. Let's go to Dustin in Florida. Dustin, you're on with Double M. Hey, what's up, Mark? What up, yeah, man? I was I was looking forward to going to that All Star game because it's only a couple hours away here. And I and I and then I heard about all this, and I'm like, and I started looking into it. And all it is is they're just going back to like the original voting rules. Like no, it, no, bro, I'm not going to debate the voting rules on the show. They're terrible. It's no. a terrible law. All you have to do is show your ID. It's a terrible law. There's more to goodbye. There's more to it than you're saying. It's a terrible law, F you and goodbye. Okay? It's designed to not give people of color access to vote. That's what it's designed to do. Let's go to Jason in uh, Warnock, wherever the hell that is. Jason, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark. What up? I just, I just wanted to talk about Gino a little bit. Uh, and what you think they can do, because it seems like it's more his attitude than anything. He's no, I don't think it's his attitude. I just think that at this point in his career, at age 34, he wants to play how he wants to play. That's not attitude. That's comfort. But well, I mean, he's, but he's everybody has to, as, as players age, especially great players, the more they're willing to leave their comfort zone and adjust, the longer and more prolific their career will be. He's actually good at back checking. He can pick pockets. He can go in corners and help the defense dig pucks out in their own zone. I understand it's he's awesome. the greatest player ever. At least that's your story. But no, no, he, he never, he thing. never plays, bro. He doesn't play score in situation. Last night, okay. Let me tell you. Let me give you a Geno scenario, and let's see how honest you are in evaluating your guy, Jason. Tell me if this isn't okay. true or not. Okay. Last night, a two to one with nine minutes left. Gino would have still been dangling through neutral ice trying to make a play to score. Oh, I totally agree with you. He scares me in overtime as much as he scares the other team. You have to play score in situation. He just won't do it. Yeah. That's or, I agree. Or, 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 or Jason, maybe he will. Because Latang's had an epiphany, and I've never had a problem yeah. with the way Tanger plays. Heck, I've never had a problem with the way Gino plays. But Tanger has really adjusted uh, during this last month or so. Now, whether that's adjusting to Gino not being there or that's adjusting to what's necessary, period, I do not know. Yeah, it just seems like Gino's uh, careless at times when he should tighten up. Uh, careless is a bad word. He just wants to play the way he wants to play. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes you have to put what you want to do aside and do what has to be done. Thank you for the call. Oh, okay. thank you, Mark. Okay, up next, we got Spencer Lee. The NCAA wrestling champion. This is the kind of stuff we need on this show. And more shows need to have stuff like this, too. From Franklin Regional, University of Iowa, three-time NCAA wrestling champion Spencer Lee, who won this last NCAA title 
wrestling with a torn ACL. It's a hell of a story. He's up next here on 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Yeah, Mark, what do you say, buddy? Hi, buddy. Hey, Mr. Madden, how you doing? What, what if they wore assless chaps? Would that help at all? If they what? The X at 105.9. My guest right now is a three-time NCAA wrestling champion and a two-time winner of the Dan Hodge Award as the nation's outstanding collegiate wrestler. From the University of Iowa, by way of Franklin Regional High School, it's always great to talk to one of the most dominant college athletes of his era. He is Spencer Lee. Spencer, welcome back to the show. Uh, Congratulations on your second Hodge and your third NCAA. And this year you made it tough because you competed at NCAA's with a torn ACL. When did you do that, and how do you wrestle on a torn ACL? <laughs> well, thanks for having me again. Well, so I tore uh, my other ACL um, in the Big Ten Finals, so about eight days prior, eight to ten days prior to, uh, you know, the NCAAs. So, I mean, I, it's my third time tearing an ACL. I've had surgery on one, tore it again, and tore the other. So I've been doing a lot of... Uh, like physical therapy and strengthening the, you know, the muscles around that. So, and and again, I'm in a, I'm in a sport where we don't really need to explode and cut. You know, if I was a soccer or basketball or football player, um, I'm not so sure I would have been able to so soon, like readily compete. So, I I mean, I'm fortunate to be in a sport where you keep your knees bent and, you know, you're able to actually, you know, compete. So it's kind of, kind of how I was able to. <laughs> well, well, you mentioned that it was your other ACL. You tore your left ACL. Your other ACL was hurt as well. Isn't that right? And like you said, you have a history of that. So you basically had no ACLs at the NCAA. Is that right? Correct. I mean, I've been wearing a brace on my right knee because I, that ACL has been torn for two years now. So, uh, you know, it, they don't he, ACLs don't heal unless you have surgery, right? So we're just kind of, you know, keep going on and on and since then you tear your other one so now you're favoring your your other knee more but then that so i haven't had any problems with that knee but since you're favoring it more uh stress and you know again i don't have an acl on that knee either i tore that one too so i was starting to feel it a little bit there too so it was funny i, I can't wear two braces when i wrestle you know it wouldn't, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have worked out so we ended up just taping both of them and wearing a sleeve over both of them for the finals so that was that was what we did. Now, now, do you think you're going to have surgery? Is that in the cards? I mean, what's your timetable for getting these things corrected? Uh, I, I don't really know. I mean, we're we're just kind of taking it day by day, not really focusing on anything. Uh, I don't really think we're leaning towards it either. I mean, we're not really leaning towards surgery. We're we're just going to keep seeing what, what what's best for me and what the doctors think is best for me. So, now you didn't tell anybody about your torn ACL, the left one until after you won, uh, and you pointedly said you didn't want excuses, correct? Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I mean, but but that's a pretty good excuse, don't you think? Well, the thing is, you know, I just don't think that people need to tell what you're going through, right? I mean, it's something that, to me, it's, like, personal and something that only you really should know about. And like, I, like I, I won in Blaze two years ago with a torn ACL, Um my knee in, in the finals you know i tore my acl in the middle of the match uh so that's why i didn't compete that summer for like a world championship or anything because uh, i wasn't really able to kind of similar to the olympic trials going on as we speak and me sitting in my room but 
So I've been a little bit unlucky, but well, we'll we'll get to the Olympic trials in, in a minute. But let me set the scene. You're wrestling on no ACLs basically, and you won the national final at 125 by a score of seven to zero. You not only won, but but you dominated. I mean, how'd you pull that off? This story gets more amazing, Spencer. Every time I talk to you. Uh, I mean, he, uh, the guy I was wrestling didn't really, uh, didn't really try to score probably the whole first period. He kind of ran away the whole time. And considering I was kind of, in, you know, kind of beat up, I couldn't really, uh, chase him down very well. I mean, if you watch the whole first period, it's pretty boring. It's basically just me, uh, you know, chasing him to the edge of the mat and him starting to wrestle on the edge of the mat. But then when wrestling occurred, we'd go out of bounds and it kind of happened probably like seven or eight times. So, well, do you think opponents are scared to wrestle you at this part point, sir? Maybe not scared, but like, there's no way I can beat this guy. Well, I I don't think that anyone thinks that. I mean, at this level, uh, no one, you can't really go into a match and I can't win, but they might game plan a little harder or, or have like a strategy that, that they think they have to follow perfectly or else they're maybe not able to win. I'm not sure. I mean, I've never, I've never made a game plan for an opponent or anything my entire career. I've never thought like that. So I can't, I can't really, you know, think to what they're thinking, but they, uh, I I don't, I don't think anyone has fear of me. I just think that, you know, they have, they feel like they have nothing to lose and that's why I get the best out of everybody. So. We're talking to Spencer Lee, three-time NCAA champion, two-time Dan Hodge award winner here on 105.9 The X. Now, like I just said, you just won your third NCAA, and you got the Hodge again. You're only the fifth wrestler to win it more than once. Uh, I know you don't have much of an ego, Spencer, but that really sets you apart, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, to an extent. I mean, uh, there, there are a lot of two-time national champs. You know, a lot more two-time than three-time, right? So, I mean, that, the more you win, the higher in the pedestal you kind of go, right? I mean, if I win a fourth national title next year, I'll be the fifth ever out of, you know, and we've had NCAA Division One wrestling since, like, 1918 or something. So, I mean, 100 years, you know, of Division One wrestling, there's only been four. And, so I mean, so I, winning two Hodge also, you know, sets you apart as well, being the fifth of that as well. So, I mean, it's, it's just humbling to be able to uh, – be honored to get that award again. So I was I was pretty happy. So. Now, like like you said, you are coming back uh, for another year at Iowa. The pandemic uh, allowed that option. What could you achieve besides winning? Like you said, the fourth NCAA that'd be a great accomplishment. But how much better can you get? What can you do between now and then to be even more dominant? Which seems hard to imagine, Spencer. I mean, I just, I just want to. I mean. The one thing I didn't do this year was I almost had a 100% bonus rate. Uh, I actually missed it in the finals. If I had scored one more point, I would have had a 100% bonus rate. Now explain that, Spencer. What what does bonus rate mean? So when you so there are uh, ways to score bonus points for your team and in dual meets and in uh, tournaments, and that's by score getting a major decision, which is a a decision of eight or more, uh, a technical fall, which is a 15 point deficit. It's like a mercy rule, right? And then a fall, you know, a pin, you know, putting their shoulders in the back, paying them. So if I had scored one more point and I won eight to zero instead of seven to zero, I would have got a major decision, which would have gave uh, my team an extra points towards our team score on top of me winning, right? But since I didn't score that one point, I had like, I, I scored bonus in all of my other matches the whole year except for that match. So I guess you could say maybe if I get a 100% bonus rate, that's never been done before in the NCAA history. 
Uh, no one's ever, I don't think anyone's ever done that. I mean, at least in modern era, I don't know if someone's done it in the past. Um, I guess I'd have to research that a little bit harder, but from what I've heard, I don't think anyone's ever done it before. Well, coming come one point bad. shy, that's certainly something to shoot for. And Spencer, I've asked you this before on the program, but what makes you so good? How much is mental? How much is physical? How much is preparation? Uh, I think everything goes into play in that way. I mean, I, I think I've always been very fortunate to have uh, the best support network. And I've, you know, my parents have done everything they could to put me in the best situation possible to be the best that I can be. I also think that I was also naturally gifted um, at the sport. I mean, my mom was a really amazing athlete, and my dad was kind of a my dad was a great athlete as well. But my mom was a better like a, probably a better athlete. But my dad probably had more of a work ethic. So I feel like I'm kind of a a mix of those two. So I think I've always kind of had a an edge maybe in the sport because I've always I've always been good at this sport. I've never uh, I don't think there's ever been a time even my first year, second year, third year wrestling where I was like I guess you could say bad. I was always winning almost all of my matches. I mean, I, I think I've lost less than 30 times in my entire life in wrestling. So I, I, I it's been, you know, I mean, I was just very fortunate. I, I mean, talented, I guess. And yeah, I, I don't I mean, know how yeah, much I mean, of that is. It's fortunate, Spencer, and I, I know how hard you work. <laughs> What's a typical day of training like for you? How many hours and what do you do typically? Uh, well, typical, I mean, we, we have two practices a day usually, typically, um, but leading up to the NCAA tournament, I, I had three workouts a day because it was a lot of, uh, keeping your weight under control. Um, you had to stay in shape. It's hard to stay in shape when you can't run or wrestle. So it was just biking and a lot of biking on aerodyne, a lot of, uh, stance and motion stuff that like I had to do a lot of physical therapy, trying to keep my legs and knees strong. So, I mean, a lot, I mean, typically, I mean, what work out in the morning at like, 7 a.m. and then at three we have practice, and then of course uh, uh, we have school and everything we have to go through as well. But during uh, that time, it was pretty hard for me to do schoolwork. <laughs> but I don't know, four to five hours a day, probably not nothing like insane. So. Well, I imagine the pace you set is, is pretty insane, and that begs the question: Do you have trouble finding training partners, uh, given your skill level? How do you find a good workout on the mat? Do you do you wrestle guys maybe heavier than you? I mean, what do you do to try to to to, to, to benefit from that? Well, I am the smallest guy on my team, so everyone I wrestle is bigger than me. So there that, you go. That, that does that does help a little bit. Uh, I mean, yeah, I dress definitely wrestling up. Uh, I mean, the coaches always push you. You know, they might put me through different or extra things that they think I might need just to push myself even harder maybe they'll rotate multiple opponents on or whatever Any, anything they can do to uh you know make that work out a little bit better or harder i mean I, I think i have great partners here as well so i don't think there's really much of an issue i mean they're they're young um when i was a freshman and sophomore i we, we had you know obviously i i i think our partners were a lot older more mature now i'm the i'm the older guy i'm the you know i'm the senior and my partners are a little younger so, well, uh, I know you put the time in and certainly the work. Now, you stayed at 125 throughout your career at Iowa. How tough is that to maintain that weight? When's the last time you had, like, a, I don't know, a French fry? <laughs> well, uh, again, I'm, I'm five foot three. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty small guy. Making 125 isn't extremely hard. The hardest part about wrestling is making weight every single week consistently and still being able to compete at your 
you know, the highest level of Division One wrestling, right? That's what I think makes college wrestling uh, so difficult. Because making weight one time or once every whatever is whatever. That's not hard at all. But, you know, when you make weight on Sunday and have a dooming on Friday, you know, you're you're got to keep it down and you got to be you got to be smart you also got to be stay healthy and you got to be able you still want to get better right your whole wrestling's all about cutting weights about getting better in your sport every week so you got to maintain that that balance as well so now your longtime goal has been the olympics which are this summer yeah. but as you mentioned you pulled out of the u.s trials which are going on currently because of your knee correct uh that, that had to be a heartbreaking decision yeah uh definitely not want to I would ever want to make again, but well, where do you go from it? here? I mean, are the Olympics in twenty four now the goal, and and what uh, can you do to make that happen? You have another year in Iowa. Uh, what do you do between now and the trials for those Olympics? I mean, right now it's just you know focusing on what's next and getting better every day, get, getting healthy. Um, there might be a World Championships this year. Uh, maybe I go for that. Maybe I try and win a world title make up for uh, missing the Olympics. And then uh, hopefully uh, I'm healthy and I'm able to uh, compete the best of my ability and make the 2024 team and go to Paris. So that would be the main goal. Win my fourth national title, win world titles in between. Those are kind of the, that's the plan. Well, I, I, I bet you achieve certainly all those pesky ACLs permitting. Spencer, thank you so much for taking the time. You're having an amazing career. There's still lots more to come. Keep it up, and I hope we talk again. Yeah, well, thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks. That is Spencer Lee, three-time national champ, two-time Hodge Award winner. That's uh, NCAA Wrestling's Heisman, basically, coming back for one more year at Iowa, and I'm pretty certain we'll see him in the 2024 Olympics. It's time to ask Mark anything. Dial 412-333-WXDX and ask me anything about anything, but not cutting weight. Let's leave that to Spencer Lee. I, I, well, you know what? I have cut. Not like him. 105.9 X And iHeartRadio. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. What up, it's sexy. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Because I know more about announcing than any man alive. The X at 105.9. It's time to Ask Mark Anything, brought to you by FoxBet. Make the call and download the app today. It's for adults 21 and over only. If you got a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. By the way, I'm on episode two of Ozark. It's pretty badass. It is very intense. It's it's a nice change of pace after watching uh, The Ranch, which was more comedy than drama. Uh, let's go to Brendan. Brendan in Oakland. Ask Mark anything. What up, Mike? What up, Mike? Do you watch the show Bar Rescue? No. Ah, uh, you should. I know the premise of it is that, that people have a bar that's poorly run and needs work, and somebody comes in and pretty much takes it over, right? Yeah, and a lot of episodes, they have like a local celebrity or radio personality go undercover. I think you'd be great for it. No, I'm busy that day. Let's go to Ron in Mount Pleasant. Ron, you're on with Double M. All right, say, Mark, quick uh, question. Uh, how would I go about blowing the lid on uh, college basketball being fixed? Do you have proof? Yeah, the, uh, the end of the Baylor-Arkansas game, uh, the total was 150. It was sitting on 149. Uh, Baylor was up nine, and they inbounded the ball. The shot clock's off. And for some reason, the kid for Arkansas found the kid with like 16 seconds left. 
and he shot two free throws to put it, to put it over. Okay, Very so that, that's your proof. The proof is you lost the bet. How much did you lose? Well, well I mean, I, that's irrelevant. No, it's not. How much did you lose? Like 200 bucks. <laughs> and I bet you can't afford to lose that kind of money either. Uh, You're right. They, fi- they, they fixed it to screw you. That yeah, kid, sure. that kid that committed the foul, he said there's some dork in Dorksville, and I'm going to screw right. with them. Thanks to call. Let's go to Skip and Elizabeth. Skip, you're on with Double M. Good afternoon, Mark. Um, best second line center: Messier, Francis, or Malkin. Um, that's actually a really good question. Are you talking within the context of a specific team, or just in general? Well, they all three of them had a superstar in front of them. And right, but at some line. point, Messier was the number one center with Edmonton and with the Rangers, and Francis was the number one center with Hartford. And Messier is the only one to win cups without the big guy in front of him. So that's why I go with Messier. Well, I think Malkin's the better player. Okay. I think Malkin's the best player of those three. But, boy, it's so close, isn't it? Yes, it is, and the heart wants to say Ronnie Francis, too, you know? You but. see, here's, here's the thing, though, that you're you're saying Messier is the best second-line center because when he, when he won when he wasn't a second-line center. You know what yeah, I mean? That's, that's slightly contradictory. Yeah. Correct. I, I agree with you, but I just have to go with Messier. Uh, I can't argue that either, and I think most people would probably agree with you given the choice among those three. Thank you for the call. Uh, Whitaker tweets, uh, what's the worst wrestling match of all time? That's easy. It was me against Gene Okerlund on uh, Thursday Night Thunder. Penn's fan asks, whatever happened to Donna's sister on that 70s show? That's a good point. Donna Pinciotti, the daughter of Bob and Midge Pinciotti, had a sister in the first season of the show who I think was seen on camera once. And then after that, she disappeared. It was never heard from again. Not unlike the lost Cunningham brother, Chuck Cunningham, from Happy Days. Uh, let's go to Chris on McKnight. Chris, you're on with Double M. Yeah, you do, Mark. Good, Chris. Um, quick question. Are you into Mexican food? Yeah, I love Mexican food. What is your favorite Mexican joint in the city? That's a tough one, bro, because I go to all the chain places. I've been I've been to Condado and Las Palmas. Oh, I will say I I've had Las Palmas tacos. They are authentic as can be. Am I right? I, I definitely enjoy them. They are my second favorite, only to Baby Loves Tacos in Bloomfield and Millville. They are excellent. Where's Baby Loves but, Tacos at? Oh, is that the one that's on the corner down the street from Pamela's Diner? Um, on in Bloomfield on Liberty. No, on in Millville. In Millville, yeah, yeah, they have two locations, one on Liberty and one in Millville. Yeah, there, there's a mom and pop, and where I'm at now in Green Tree, there's a mom and pop place at the bottom of the hill that's really good, too. But I don't go there nearly enough. Which places do you normally go? I go to, I'm, I go to like, El Campesino. Okay. I, I go to Chipotle. I mean, if you know, there's not that much difference. I mean, I go to uh, El Patron. I used to like Patron. At Patron at I've one never time, been there. the one in Waterworks, not at Waterworks, but the but the mall, the the strip mall next to Waterworks. I got you. They used to make their nachos where they would lay the chips out flat on a pan, and they would put beef and sour cream and jalapeno and cheese, 
specifically on each chip and then bake them. But they stopped doing that. It broke my heart. It broke my heart, Chris. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, well. That was the way to go. There's a place in uh, in Vegas at the Flamingo called Carlos and Charlie's I really like, too. And I think there's, what's the one in New York, New York called? Martinez E. Martinez. I mean, they're chain E, you know, but uh, when I was a kid, there was a place in Etna, this Mexican place that was owned by a, a Mexican family. It was unbelievable. It was heartburn city. I was like in my 20s, I was getting heartburn from eating there, which you don't get in your 20s, but it was just incredible. Come on, you Reds. Liverpool Arsenal tomorrow. See you next week, 105.9.